0: it's good for us to refocus on sundays i'm thrilled uh, to be able to share god's word with you today if you'll take your bibles and look to james chapter 4 that's where we'll be today as we're just continuing through this great book of the bible it's a small but power-packed book that has just loads and loads of great application for us i hope you're doing okay i'm just going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer if this Baptist preacher dies of cirrhosis of the liver it's not because I'm drinking through my mouth alcohol it's because I'm taking it in through my hands these days how about you I'm a little concerned about that to be honest so if and when I die of cirrhosis of the liver you'll know oh he said it was because of the hand sanitizer and I think for the most part most part you'll be true just kidding all right so we're in James chapter 4 I want to just follow along with the scripture and just talk about it for a few moments and then uh, call us to make a commitment to Jesus submit yourself therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you let's just time out for a moment just remember where we are in the text because when you see therefore you know it's a continuous thought James has this amazing ability to just build point upon point upon point argument upon argument Uh, the apostle Paul did the same thing so if you remember what has been talked about previously in this part of this the letter is that he's saying be a friend of God not a friend of the world for if you're a friend of God you're an enemy a friend of the world then you're an enemy of God and God is your enemy so he's really making a definitive statement about making sure that you and I are friends of God not friends of the world so because we are friends of God therefore we ought to submit ourselves to God and that means we resist the devil and he will flee from us look what it says in verse 8 draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded and then verse 9 be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourself therefore or before the lord and he will exalt you now let's pause and pray father you have given us the holy spirit as our teacher and we ask that as we're listening that we would be sensitive in our ears and our heart our thoughts would be engaged on you and your word which is true and right and eternal would make a great impact on our living help us lord to receive what you have for us today and walk in it to the glory of jesus i pray amen all right when i was thinking about how to frame this message up and this particular passage is probably well known to some of you i just decided not to be try to be too creative with it and just follow four questions it's a good way for us to think about any passage basically to whom is the message written and what is the passage about what is the message that is being shared what is our response what does god require of us as we read through it and then what's the result of responding to that that's a good way for us to just think through scripture as we're reading through it and i'd just like to take a few minutes to address each of those along the way and just respond uh, what i think is the biblical approach to this in its entirety the book of james is a series of tests isn't it it's a test of authenticity of faith And maybe the test actually proves the insufficiency of one's claim to faith but James is throwing it out there and just saying what about this what about this what about this and the results the answers that we're giving ourselves and to the truth of the Holy Spirit is either a pass or a fail does does our life measure up to the claim of our faith if we're in relationship with God is it evident or if we're claiming to be in relationship God, but that's not true, the evidence will be proven in our life. So he's challenging people who might be attached in some way to the church, or attached some way to the claim of Christianity, but not really pursuing Christ, not really being submissive to him, And he's pointing that out. And for those of us who have a genuine claim, an authentic claim of Christianity, he's reminding us that that ought to be expressed in our life, that it ought to be genuine in a way that other people are seeing that, such that they would ask us about the hope of Christ that is within us. So yeah, we ought to be sharing Christ, but people ought to be asking because we live at such a level of peace and and grace and truth that people ask us of that hope that is in us so to the unsaved James is calling out to them to be saved that's the the message of Christ throughout the New Testament and even throughout the age of the church to come to genuine salvation in Jesus Christ and to the saved he's saying "Let the authenticity of your faith be evident in your words and in your actions and your purposes and so he's just walking through this verse by verse as he's coming test to test so to whom is the message written that's a all-important question when we're coming to the scripture and james answers this for us in verse eight he says in verse eight cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded so sinners and double-minded those are not terms that he uses for people who are genuine in their faith in every situation in scripture The sinner is identifying somebody who remains in their sin. By the way, we are all born into sin. It's the Adamic sin that just keeps passing from generation to generation. I hate it, but it's true. I passed that along to my sons. They were born into sin, and they have been perpetual sinners, just like their daddy, just like his daddy, and all the way back to, to Adam. So we are born sinners, but Christ has come to rescue us from sin to rescue us from the judgment of God against our sin and to give us newness of life he has come to give us a new spirit so when he says cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded he's not talking about people who are genuinely saved he doesn't call you a sinner he calls you a saint Uh, look at the people around you and those who are genuine in their faith you're looking at saints you've always wanted to see one there they are saints of god you are a saint if your faith is given to christ jesus and i'll tell you why you're a saint by the declaration of christ not by your earning by the declaration of christ he has removed your sin and died with it on the cross so that you don't have to carry it anymore and he has imputed into you he has placed into you righteousness and declares you to be righteous before a holy god isn't that amazing that's the wonder of the gospel of jesus christ what a great transformation happens when our faith is given to him uh, that transaction takes place but he was still asking now who is it written to we know that it's directed towards sinners people who are not yet given to christ at least this section is there are many many sections in this in the letter that are directed to the saints of god but in this particular case verse seven through ten of chapter four is directed to to uh, sinners but now if you go to the very first verse of the letter he gives this greeting it's a hey y'all how you doing kind of part of the letter and he says James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion now this is the big hint right because twelve tribes is a title it's an identifier for the Jewish people who God had placed uh, among the patriarchs God had given them twelve leaders And from those 12 leaders comes 12 tribes and the land was dispersed, the promised land was dispersed among the tribes there. And so when you see 12 tribes, the identification of that is the Jewish people who are in the dispersion. Of course, the dispersion has taken place because they are scattered throughout the region because of persecution and the persecution was intense. So in the opening le- part of the letter, he's identifying who the general letter is written to, and it's broadly to the Jewish people who are scattered. And many of those who are scattered are scattered because they are Christians who now follow Yeshua as the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, and they're following the way. Of the messiah and because of that they come under intense persecution not only from the romans but from their own people the jewish people and so he's telling them i'm a servant of god the lord jesus christ he is a friend of of god and he's writing to the jewish people who are scattered abroad and he says hello hey now specifically throughout the text he's going to oftentimes refer to them as brothers And when you are referred to as a brother, it means you're part of the family of God, right? And he's recognizing these are not just brothers in the sense of being Jewish, but brothers in the sense that they have a same father. They've been adopted into the family of God. They have a joint relationship with Jesus Christ, who is their brother and they too are brothers and sisters. They're part of the faith family. You remember growing up, maybe in a in an old time church? We used to do this, hey brother so-and-so, and if you were really out there, maybe you're Independent Baptist, you say, and sister so-and-so, anybody remember those days? Those good days, aren't they? They identify, hey, I'm connected to you as family. I see you as family, and I want you to see me as family. Uh, we ought to do that, when we leave today, by sister and so-and-so or you, you go by Publix uh, if you can recognize them behind their mask hey brother so-and-so uh, maybe that's one of the things that we ought to do when you don't remember somebody's name hey sister hey brother <laughs> you can get by with that but at any rate he's, he's writing to uh, brothers in Christ in the letter and he's writing to unbelievers as well And the reason why I think that is because he's specifically saying to sinners and double minded people now why would that be Why is he writing a letter to the church but including a directive towards the unsaved? I think it's just like this. James writes the letter. The letter is going to be read publicly. And among those who are hearing the public reading of that letter are going to be people that are connected to the church but not necessarily connected to the kingdom of God. You say, well, that sounds a little out there. Well, the same thing happens here, doesn't it? you got people that might connect to the church they might be interested in the things of god maybe haven't come to conclusion about who jesus christ is and what the claim of the bible is and not ready to submit themselves for some sinful reason to the way of christ and so they're here they're connected and they might even claim in a in a cultural way to be christian but they're unsaved and their identity is not as a brother or sister in christ they're actually a brother and sister to those who are unsaved who have a joint father that the Bible says is actually the devil how about that so what James is referring to is saying hey those of you who are connected in some way to the group of people at the church but you're unsaved come to Christ come to faith in him I think he's specifically inviting us to do that as a people now I know that as well because verse 9 would be really odd if it was directed to us as church folks if you think about verse 9 look what he would say to the saints of God the people who are connected to Christ people who gather together as a church would he say this to us be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom (laughs) that doesn't sound like a church that I want to join how about you no in fact this is the opposite of who we are listen Christianity is a forward-facing reality reality it's not just gloom and doom gloom and doom is in this world man if we thought this world is all there is if we thought the best life is now man we would be filled with mourning wouldn't we we'd be filled with retching we'd be filled with anguish but it's not that way we recognize that this is a forward moving life that looks towards the author and the finisher of our faith and when we look in that way it takes out the misery doesn't it and replaces it with absolute joy So the Christian life is very different. We know how this world ends, don't we? Listen, it was brought about by the word of God through the waters and it was destroyed by the waters, by the judgment of God, never promised by God to be destroyed in that way again. You know, he's gonna destroy in the future, not by water, but by fire. And we recognize that that fire purifies the world of all sin. It destroys it all. God is going to recreate the heavens as we see them in the sky. And the earth as we know it, when we stand on it, it's going to recreate it. It will never be touched again by sin. What a glorious truth that is. Because when things are not affected by sin, that means you don't have despair. You don't have disease. You don't have death. And you don't have judgment from God. All that judgment has been carried out. So we have every reason, don't we, as Christians, to be filled with laughter and joy and hope because we are a forward-facing people. Once God wipes away the mourner's tear, and he will, the tear will never come again. What a glorious truth that is. Christians to be the most joy-filled, most exuberant people on the planet. And even though we too face trials and sufferings and pain and sickness and death and persecution, even though we face all those things, our heavenly Father has the final word. And the word is that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Behold, he is making all things new. Don't stay focused on the brokenness of this world get your eyes on the finisher of our faith. May our certainty in Christ bring us that joy so deeply that people around us will begin to ask us of the hope that we have, and we will tell them the hope is in Christ Jesus. Now, people who are unbelievers, those who remain in their sin, they do have every reason to have all those emotions that we just talked about. They have reason to be wretched, have a reason to be not laughing but have mourning. There's a reason why they have gloom rather than joy filled days because they're under the judgment of God. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 the judgment of God is already upon them. And they feel the weightedness of that and the heaviness of that. I know I did, even as a little boy. I recognize sin and I recognize the distance that I have placed uh, in my life between God and me. So the message. The message is to people in this particular part of the passage who are not yet connected to Christ. They may have a claim. They may have a connection to church or to Christianity in some way or to religion, but they are not yet submitted to Christ. All right, so what is the message? That's a pretty important part of this equation as well. Of course, this whole letter has been about testing, as I mentioned to you, and we're nearing the completion of those tests. But each of those tasks are calling for a recognition of truth. Here the people are thinking and have wisdom that is not of heaven. It's actually earthly, as we read last week. It's unspiritual and demoniacal, meaning that it is empowered by the realm of demons. It comes from the lies, the father of lies. That's the way the world thinks, that's the way I thought prior to coming to Christ and having a mind of christ had been given to me by his grace in the same way for you as the evidence is clear they are friends of the world and because they are friends of the world the bible says they are enemies of god and god is their enemy they claim to have a relationship with god no doubt and they tell others about their connection to christ but their relationship is not holy and their claim is not bona fide so james is just drawing them to conclusion Fortunately, there is a message of hope, and this is the message that James wants to get out there. It's a, it's a message of hope that even though there is all that sin and rebellion in their life, God gives more grace. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to recognize the Greek New Testament word megas. You you instantly know what that word means, don't you? And so what he's saying is that God gives mega grace. Sure, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think this is the message that that James is pointing to. If you're going to remain in your pride, in your arrogance and rebellion against God, I'm going to live my life my way for me. If you're going to remain in that, then God will remain opposed to you. But you need to know that God's grace is greater. Greater than your sin, greater than your rejection, greater than your doubt, greater than your rebellion. God's grace is mega It's greater than than anything that you can have that would say, I'm not going to be able to go there because of this. So this opposition that God has to the prideful, he talked about that, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a humbleness there, a brokenness. Recognize I don't have two pennies to rub together spiritually to achieve anything of a relationship with god much less to heaven i'm broke spiritually bankrupt blessed is the person who recognized poverty of spirit the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is theirs they'll have the kingdom of heaven so we come into the kingdom of heaven not with pride and arrogance but we come with humility and i think that's part of the measure that james is speaking here to the proud the message is god opposes by the way, the original language word for that opposes is a military term. It means the person is suited up and ready for battle. Now, imagine for a moment the essence of that verse that for the proud, God is suited up in battle to come against you. And I can tell you, God will be victorious. That's a pretty alarming text there, isn't it? But the message is, He gives mega grace to the humble, that no matter how proud you have been, no matter how sinful you have become, no matter how far removed you find yourself, God's grace is greater. God's grace is mega. It'll It'll reach beyond that. In fact, he'll go further and turn you around, which is what the word repentance means. Turn you around and draw you near to himself. It's an amazing text. That's the message that James is calling out. If you're gonna remain sinful, you're gonna remain proud, proud. And if you're gonna be proud, God is opposed to you, coming against you, warring against you. But the good news is his grace is greater. He's giving an opportunity for you to come and return to him, uh, turn to him in grace. So no matter the depth Of your doubt the length of your sin the width of your love for the world and its ways and the height of your apathy God's grace is beyond that it's greater so what is the required response we recognize who he's talking to and what the message is what's the required response and James gives a ten part command of responses here's ten commands that he says the way we ought to respond now, i'm not going to preach all 10 of these and all god's people said amen to that um, uh, i'm going to summarize them but let me just read through them. here's the 10 things that james is saying to the unbeliever to the unrepentant to the proud here's what he says god is extending grace to you in a mega way and here's the way you ought to respond submit yourself therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded and look at these be wrenched mourn weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom as you humble yourself before the lord now i'm not going to take all 10 of those and speak about them but i do want to group them so let me group them for you and then i'll move us to how this thing ends really well the first grouping just comes in this first statement submit to god now here we are with another military term that james is using to submit in the military means that you recognize the ranks and you come below the rank of somebody who is above you and in this case jesus is the commander of the lord's army he always has been he always will be And as the commander, we come underneath him in rank. And so we submit ourselves to him. We recognize that we're not on equal plane. He is above and we are beneath, right? So we're positioned in a real humble way to submit to him. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we're not just attributing to him a title of Lord. It is an understanding of his ranking. He is Lord over all there is none that is greater than him everything is submissive to him every enemy will be his footstool right i mean everything is is uh, directed by him all things are under his sovereign control he is lord over all so when we even baptize people it's our tradition to ask them to respond about who jesus is and you know their response who is your lord jesus christ is lord and then what happens? We immerse them down into the water. It's a sign of immersing them into Christ. They've already done that by faith, but they are declaring, I no longer live, I die to self that I might be resurrected in Jesus Christ and thereby walk forever different. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all things, including my life. And I now recognize the order, the ranking. And I come underneath him. So coming to faith is to come to submission to Christ. And when we do that, my goodness, it is transforming. Whereas we were once enemies of God, slaves to sin, unrepentant. Now in Christ, we're grateful. We're loyal servants of his because he's laid down his life for us. We choose to give our life as living sacrifice to him. And whereas we attempted to follow in our own will and our own rule of life we have vacated life's throne right and we say jesus take your rightful position as commander over my life and my heart we vacate that position because we realize it was illegitimate to begin with so salvation is impossible without a submission to god that's where it starts that's the reason why james i think is in this list of 10 things starting with submission and i'm not saying they're in any kind of given order but i think this is a place to start you submit to christ you submit to god and look at the next one. little grouping here resist the devil and draw near to god you can group those together i think those are meant to be read together we're going to resist the devil and here's a here's a statement he will flee from us as we do that and we draw near to god And he will draw near to us as we do that. And I think as those are linked together, we recognize this is is not passive. This is very active. This isn't just happening to us. We're engaging in it. We're recognizing Christ and His glory and His position, and we come underneath that and we choose to be actively resisting the devil. You're not going to be able to be passively watching TV, passively living in this world, passively engaging in the world, passively watching the news, and just having this mantra of the world embedded in it. No, no. You're going to have to be active in this, and the activeness is you resist. You resist the world you resist its temptation you resist its ways you're very active in resisting and as you're active in resisting the devil he will flee from you but now if you're passive he will stay on you and to the unsaved he says you're going to have to be active and the activity is you got to turn from your sin you got to reject the way of this world. You've got to recognize this world is broken. Its systems are broken. And you need to come to the kingdom of Christ. And when you recognize that truth, here's what's glorious about the gospel. He will, tra- God will transfer you out of the domain of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light of his beloved son. That's the word of God. So we're actively choosing in our salvation to resist the devil he will flee from us and we draw near to god and he will draw near to us what i mean by resisting the devil and him fleeing is recognizing that the devil no longer is your master you do not have to serve the devil any longer you serve jesus And when you recognize that and you resist the devil based on that fact he will flee you are no longer a slave to sin in fact you are a slave to righteousness because you're a servant of the Most High God you cannot be forced to sin you can sin by your consent but you cannot be forced to sin he cannot make you do you know the struggle with me is not so much the devil the struggle is my flesh I don't need the devil to bring me stuff. My flesh comes power packed with a love for sin. I'm grateful to God that he has given me a spirit that dwells within that can overcome my nasty flesh. How about you? We can resist the devil and he will flee from us and we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us. What I've come to find out, the more focused I am on drawing near to God, the less focused I have to be on the sin in my life just draw near to God and he will draw near to us it's an active movement of God in our lives when you think about God drawing near to us you can't help but get a little bit excited about that because you recognize that God goes further faster and harder than you and I could ever imagine I mean, think about some of the people in the scripture that drew near to God let's think about the parable that god gave to us about the prodigal remember this one the prodigal goes to his father and he says hey dad i don't want to wait for you to die for me to spend all your money how about splitting it now the estate with my brother and me and uh i I want the estate early and the dad says yes and he cashes out he goes in a foreign country because he wants to get a far away from his father as possible you know why because he's a lover of the world not a lover of his father and he spends all that his father had he spends it on sinful living the bible says now when all that money gets spent and things get really rough he's down to the very lowest a jewish guy could be he is feeding pigs and he's so hungry that he is desiring to eat the pods that the pigs eat now you can't get any more low for a jewish guy than that And it's in that moment of his loneliness. Anybody ever been there in that low place in a life? And you come to your senses and you recognize, if I would just go back to my dad, that my dad has enough grace that he would probably take me on as a servant. Even his servants will eat way better than I'm eating. What he didn't know is his dad is a mega grace giver. Because when that old boy starts going home you know he's walking home and his dad you remember what his dad is doing he's out in the field and he's watching right and he sees his boy walking towards him you remember what dad does he takes off running And he embraces him, and he calls for the robe to come back and be put on his son, and he takes off the ring, and he puts it on his son, and he welcomes him, and he has a big party for him. You know why? Because God is a mega grace God. You walk towards him, and he'll run to you. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that's calling out to you who are saved. There's a woman, a Samaritan woman who came to the well in midday. It meant that she didn't want the ridicule of all the people in the community. They would come in the early morning. I drove into work today to the office. It was 66 degrees outside. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, thank you. Then he reminded me that it's going to be 30 degrees hotter this afternoon. But at any rate, she would go in the 95 degree weather to get water because she didn't want the ridicule of the people around her because of the life that she had been living what Jesus does he asks her for some water now catch this she's going to draw just a little bit she's going to draw near to him she's going to give him a cup of water you remember what he does he lavishes grace in a mega way that it floods her soul so that she would never be thirsty again that's the kind of God who says I want to give you more grace you remember the song you sung as a little boy or little girl Zacchaeus was a wee little man Now, I'm not saying that that song is altogether biblical, but it gives us a synopsis of the passage. Here's what Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus and he's going to position himself so that he can glance at him when he walks by but because he made a move towards christ christ is making a move to him remember he comes to where zacchaeus is and he says hey zacchaeus uh -uh, you're not going to just see me from a distance you and i are going to have dinner at your house we're going to sit across the table from one another and we're going to carry on conversation that's the kind of god who has a mega grace So draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He'll do it more than you could ever imagine. Don't hold back. Take a step to Jesus today. See how far he'll move towards you. And then he says, be clean. Your hands, your hands are dirty. They represent everything that is sinfully done on the external. And your heart your heart is filthy it's double-minded it represents every inclination of sin that you have so externally and internally he says be clean now the issue is you're not going to be able to do that on your own he's not saying to the lost people those who have rejected him those who are filled with pride get your act together he is not saying that but what he is saying is submit your life to me and as you submit your life to me i'll clean your hands i'll clean your heart i'll give you a new heart and i'll give you a new nature i'll give you a new purpose i'll give you new thoughts come to me and clean your hands let me show you what what god is doing in first john chapter three by the way if you can remember this you ought to read john the gospel of john chapter three and you ought to read first john chapter three those are good passages to read at a same sitting here's what first john chapter 3 says whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil now you know why i'm going to put it in james's terminology here whoever is a friend of the world is going to practice sinning because you've embraced the world you're a friend of the world and because you're affectionate towards the things of the world you're going to practice the things of the world james uses a little bit different terminology he's saying whoever practices Uh, makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning so what is this is he saying that we're never going to sin no that's not what he's saying he's saying you haven't made a practice of sinning Uh, i'm just going to be confessional for a moment your pastor sins and when i sin the holy spirit says "Uh uh-uh that's not who you are that's not who you are in christ you're not a sinner anymore you're a saint why are you acting like a sinner? Why are you going back to what Christ has set you free from? Why don't you press towards what the Spirit has done new in you? Why don't you press towards the name? Anybody else having that conversation? Yeah, that's, that's evidence of a light that is not given to the practice of sinning. doesn't mean that you not sinned it means that you choose to not make a practice of sinning because the people who practice sinning they're of the devil the devil's been doing it from the beginning and wants his followers to do it the reason the son of god appeared was to read it out loud with me to destroy the works of the devil hallelujah to that because i couldn't do it myself and neither could you so the reason why god sent his son jesus to earth was to destroy all that sin in your life and my life to destroy the work of the devil to free us from it to rescue us from it and what a rescue it is look what he says in verse 9 no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for god's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of god what a transaction you've been born of god makes you a friend of god it makes you a daughter of god makes you a son of god it makes you a brother and sister of jesus christ it makes the people who are in faith around you brothers and sisters with you and you are born of god life is transformed by this it is evident who are the children of god and who are the children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god nor is the one who does not love his brother isn't that the same thing that james has been saying all along it's a test who does your life prove that you love you either love the world or you love god you can't love both of them that would be double-minded that would be remaining in your sin so he's saying make the choice choose jesus be clean now the cleansing isn't based on you the cleansing is based on christ and first john continues and this is the first chapter if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to cleanse us right he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness what a great work of christ he has done now you get to that latter part which is the last five commands i'm just grouping them all into one because i think these are the proper attitudes first is a movement, it's a recognition, and then it's a movement, and now we're getting into the proper attitudes. And he says you ought to be vexed, you ought to be r- r- wrenched, y- you ought to be sort of twisted up about this, recognize that this is not the way that God has desired you to live your life. You ought to mourn what? Mourn your sin, weep over your sin, weep over the brokenness in your life, primarily the brokenness that you have with God that you and God are not one. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You thought things were good, but when you put it on an eternal scope, it's not good. Eternity, distant from God, under God's wrath and justice that will prevail, is not good if you have sin in your life. So he's saying you ought not be laughing right now. You ought not be filled with joy right now. Instead, you ought to be mourning your sin and Living your life with gloom under the heaviness of the judgment of God that rests upon everybody who is yet to be given in faith to Christ. And so here's the final thing that he says. Humble yourself. Get low. That's the way we entered in the kingdom of God, to humble ourselves. You know, if you're, if you're going to stay on the proud boulevard, that'll lead you all the way to hell. But the holy avenue is the humble avenue and that'll lead you to the lord jesus himself so get on that humble grand avenue of humility and you'll find jesus christ and the result is absolutely wondrous what's the result of responding well going through all of this god will exalt you hey if you've been trying to crawl and climb your way to god you're weary, you're tired, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy and light. Come to him. Come to Christ the Savior. Respond well. He will exalt you. What does that mean that God will exalt those who are coming to faith? Number one, it means that he'll exalt you to a chosen position of the Most High God, the Son, not to the Most High God, to a son or daughter of the Most High God sometimes i just have to remind people in prayer as i'm praying with them they're going through a really difficult situation and i might pray something like this aloud with them now father my brother my sister right here is so struggled this is such heavy news i just want to pause and thank you that they are a daughter or a son of the most high god and that changes everything in this scenario God will exalt you to a position of being in his family. You'll be a co-heir with Christ Jesus. You know, God is giving to his son, his beloved son, everything in the universe. And Jesus, in turn, shares everything in the universe with us. Can you imagine that? That God is making us, through Christ Jesus, joint heirs with him. What a glorious exaltation that is. And we're exalted from a humble place and being seated now with Christ in the heavenly places. We're lifted out of sin, declared to be righteous before the heavenly Father. We're given a heavenly mission and a message that makes life eternally significant. I mean, you're talking about exaltation. There it is. Your relationship today, your relationship in the future, your position now, your position in the future, your mission today and your mission in the future, it's all exalted. Blessed be the Lord. So I just ask, would you respond well? Two different groups of people. The majority of this message is written to those who are lost. You remain in your sin. You remain in your rebellion. And God is saying, submit to him. Come to him. Come humble. You draw near to him, and he is drawing near to you. If you're in this room, I want to invite you to do so. You're connected in some way. Here you are. I'm grateful for that, but now's the time for you to be saved, not just connected to a church, but now's the time for you to be in the kingdom of God. By faith, trust God who sent his son Jesus. If you're here today and you are wanting to make that decision in faith, then I'm going to invite you in just a moment, we're going to sing a final song. I'm going to invite you to step forward and tell somebody. There'll be a couple of guys standing down front. There'll be more ready. There's more than two people that will come forward. And you just say to them, I'm trusting Jesus today. I'm trusting him for a new life, for eternal life. And I'm submitting myself to him. I'm surrendering to him. It's the words of Christ. Take up your cross and follow after him as you deny yourself. Turn to Christ today. And watch, see how he will exalt you. Draw near to him. And then to the rest of us, what Christ has rescued us from, we ought not circle back to what he has saved us from. We ought not embrace and love. We ought to resist that of the world. It ought to be evident in our joy and our choices in life that we are genuine in our faith, that truly, we have authentic faith in Christ. It's nothing to guess about. James says you ought to be certain about that. And the life that you live ought to prove evidence of it. Oh Father, as we have looked at your passage and tried to reflect on it in a meaningful way, with your spirit's help, you're calling us to make decisions, some unto salvation, others unto a reality of who they are as a son or a daughter of you, the Most High God. And I pray that you're pouring grace, mega grace, in such a way that our lives would be transformed. To the glory of God, I pray, Lord. To the glory of Jesus, I pray this in his holy and righteous name.